You're going to have to come up with it on the spot. Oh, that's so hard because I'm already in my head about it. (laughs) Welcome to VCR, a vintage cinema rewinds. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. Yes, we are. I'm Blake. I'm Jason. And this is part two of our Oscars 1959 series. We're watching North by Northwest. A great Alfred Hitchcock film. I thought you were just going to say a great Alfred movie. I was like, (laughs) yeah, it's up there, definitely. I think I like uh, the Alfred that Michael Caine does. (laughs) I think he's my favorite Michael Caine. My (laughs) cocaine. All right, this is a weird tangent. Yeah. (laughs) He's not even in this. Not even a little bit. He could have been. He's pretty old. I wonder what the, like, first great Michael Caine movie is. We should know this. We should know this. I feel like... I don't even know when the oldest, like the oldest Michael Caine movie I've ever watched is. Wasn't he like a real suave? He was really suave back in the day. He I was believe like, that. There's a picture of him with his wife, and it's just like he is just a mean-looking motherfucker. He's like he's like the Cary Grant of Britain. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> is Cary is Cary Grant British? I thought Cary Grant might be British. I don't think so. If so, he's amazing. I- I thought he was British. He is British. He's a British American actor. So okay. I think he I think he got his American whatever Accent. you want to call it. No. Oh. His American citizenship like once he came to Hollywood. Oh, okay. See I thought he was just pure American but like slightly British. Just based on his accent. Because he does have a bit of the transatlantic, but that's actually what he's known for is a transatlantic well, yeah. accent, which is really cool because you and I have been talking about that a yeah, little bit lately yeah. in some of our older movies. It's just such a cool phenomenon that happened in movies. They just created their whole whole accent out of nowhere, basically. Yeah. We're on a, a tangent Tandy. and a yeah, half yeah. here. <laughs> Do you want to start with the plot? Yeah, let's get into it. North by Northwest is, again, another Alfred Hitchcock suspense film. That takes us across the country as Roger Thornhill, played by Cary Grant, is mistaken for an American spy by foreign enemies. It's a fun parody of the more serious secret agent genre, and Roger, who is uh, a wise-ass of an ad man, gets kidnapped and simply won't cooperate without throwing a few quips in. He escapes his captors and goes on a cross-country adventure of love, intrigue, amazing quotes, and iconic locations. Yeah, that's a great summary. One of my favorite parts of this movie is Cary Grant's demeanor throughout. He's just irritated and confused, and it's really fun. The whole movie is really fun that way. Yeah, and you can tell, like, at his ad firm, he's, like, the most hilarious guy. Yeah. And he just, like, wants to stay there in his own little world where he's the funny guy. And then he gets thrown into this whole situation where he's suspected of being a cia agent yeah and he's like no i'm just i'm just an ad guy like the guy gets kidnapped and the whole time he's just like guys i have places to be yeah like, i have bartenders to tip <laughs> yeah he's just so irritated it kind of reminds me of the suicide squad the most recent film with idris elbra's character and that's something mm. that people really lamented um from that film is Idris Elbus's like demeanor of just like kind of irritated and frustrated with everything going on yeah, all yeah. of the time. And that's 
what I felt like with this movie. Like, Cary Grant's just like, God damn it. Like, why is this happening right now? Like, why can't yeah, I just be yeah. doing whatever I want to be doing right now? Yeah. Um, it's almost like, like if it was a comedy, he would be the straight man. But yeah. this is a serious movie, but he's still a comedic straight man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that scene where he's at the uh, train station trying to get his ticket. So when he has the sunglasses on, the ticket guy is like, something wrong with your eyes? And... Cary Grant's like, yeah, they're sensitive to questions. Yeah, he's yeah. just irritated that this guy would ask him that. Yeah, and he just throws them out so quickly and so like suave, and yeah, he's just his whole character is amazing. One of my favorite portrayals in film. Yeah. So yeah, overall, um, so he gets kidnapped, and then he is mistaken. He finds out for a CIA agent right. who is named George Kaplan, yeah. who seems to be going to hotel rooms all over the country and traveling like quite fast. And his mm. captors who are uh, like, this is like cold war era. So they're, yeah. they're trying to find American spies and find out what information they can get from them so that they could either sell it to the um, like enemies or take it back to their country, whatever. Yeah. They really think that this is George Kaplan and he's just playing um, Roger Thornhill even kind of complimenting on like how well he's playing Roger Thornhill. And they're yeah. like, you can drop at any time. Yeah. That's actually a point that I was going to make later that kind of almost struggling there to explain what the bad guys wanted a little bit. Yeah. And there's a purpose behind that, that Hitchcock wanted this to be almost a, Mac- a MacGuffin, yeah. um, which was popularized by by Hitchcock, which is essentially the chase for some sort of object that really doesn't have a deep relationship to the plot necessarily. Yeah, yeah. Like we don't know why they want the information or what yeah. the information is. It's not they're not even really discussing it. It's yeah. just about the interactions and this thing is just kind of what's driving the plot forward without being meaningful. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It just drives the plot forward. The whole movie is just about how Cary Grant deals with the situations that he's put in. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's one of the, it's kind of like one of the first epic cross-country style Mm -hmm. movies, cross-country epics. Yeah. Where we follow one character all the way across the country. And so that was super exciting, I think, for the audience goers at the time. Well, yeah. And we see so many really cool locations as well. Like all of the locations where they filmed were, for the most part, on location. Yeah. And there's a couple little interesting details I want to talk about a little bit later into that when we dive into things. But that's also a really neat thing to see all of these big landmarks and maybe if you live around those landmarks as well how they've changed over yeah, the years yeah. too because you and i are a little bit more removed from the u.s yeah so yeah. but still but just still. a little north i guess yeah <laughs> um, oh geez eh? yeah. <laughs> that's kind of a minnesota accent actually <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah so after he gets kidnapped he is forced to drink a bottle of bourbon yeah. And they just force down like a whole bottle of bourbon and then put him behind the wheel of a car to try and, to kill him. Yeah, to try and kill him. He's supposed to drive off a cliff. They were supposed to like start the gas and he was just supposed to go off. But then he's kind of waking up in a blur. No, what's funny in that moment, he's actually saying a few quotes 
from the movie that he was supposed to go see with his mom earlier. Oh, no way. Well, in his drunken state, you can't super understand him, uh-huh. but he's saying a few quotes from the movie, something like the West Side Story, I think, it was what he was supposed to go see with his mom. Mm-hmm. He gets in the car, and he kind of mumbles, I've grown accustomed to your bourbon. Then they start the car, and he's supposed to go off the cliff, but he yeah. starts driving the car, so he does escape, but then eventually gets pulled over by the police, they, of course, don't believe his whole story about um, like these guys trying to murder him, basically. Yeah. I'm not condoning drunk driving, and neither is this movie, but it's yeah. the greatest drunk driving of all time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, his... His acting in that was just phenomenal. Like it yeah. wasn't he, he wasn't really driving on roads or anything, but like yeah. the way he was acting and like falling asleep a little bit and like swerving, missing stuff, just phenomenal. He was just so in character. And even the scene where he's like hammered at the police station yes. afterwards is again just like very in character of him just kind of being irritated but being too drunk to even explain it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they give him his phone call and like he won't like he won't dial the number and he won't like put the receiver back down. Like he's just really drunk and plays that so well. And like he calls his mom and they're like, you better, better make a good use of your one phone call. And he calls his mom to say he couldn't make it to the, the movie or something. Yeah. He just kind of rambles on for a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I did score this movie is a film about mistaken identity. It's probably one of the greatest mistaken identity films alfred hitchcock was just so ahead on like creating all these things yeah i he had so many ideas like he must be one of the most creative directors of all time yeah and we get to see him in this movie we do was super fun at the beginning like right at the beginning yeah you caught him right yeah 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 yeah, i caught him too uh i was like oh there he goes Jess. yeah 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 (laughs) he was trying to get onto a bus but the bus closed because he was slightly too late yeah and that's all we see of him yeah yeah, apparently he makes cameos in most of his films. Yeah, I've know. seen a clip of like a few of his like main cameos. Yeah, he's like the Stan Lee of yeah. the 50s and 60s. He started it, Yeah, probably. Probably, yeah. <laughs> and um, so this is also one of like the first parodies of like a style of movie that he's done. It was a self-parody almost. Like, this, this movie has like a really interesting connection because it's like you said it's kind of a parody but then a lot of the ideas and the way that the film is framed is then used later in other like spy thrillers and yeah, stuff like yeah. that so let's let's save some of this to legacy because i, I want to get into spoiler talk a little bit yeah there, yeah so. for sure so let's talk characters and people you may know so our first character that we've already talked about a little bit here, or quite a bit actually, is Roger Thornhill, the ad exec. So when he started, when the movie started, I had really deep Mad Men vibes oh, yeah. from this. Yeah. And I was like, oh, Jess, like, this is going to kind of be like watching Mad Men, but yeah. like in real time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very different direction from Mad Men, but it's cool. kind of cool to see that timing and that comparison in the clothes that they wore as, as somebody who's a massive fan of the TV show, Mad Men, I really appreciated that. Yeah. So the, the very first intro scene we see with, um, Roger Thornhill is him speaking with his secretary Mm -hmm. about, uh, like things he needs her to do. One of them is like to message his, uh, some kind of lover. Mm -hmm. He is like, Oh, like write this to her and then she's like you wrote that to her last week and he's like oh okay um 
Maybe uh, get her some candy and write uh, something for your sweet tooth, baby, and all your other sweet parts. Like, he's like that smooth, <laughs> sexual, suave, like, yeah. guy. He's just, like, at the top of his game, like, top of the world. He's been married and divorced twice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's really great about Roger Thornhill and the way, the trajectory of the film is that he's taken within, like, the first five minutes of yeah, the film. Like, yeah. it, there's no, like, kind of, you know, building the character really a whole lot. Like I the, think they, they built it so well in just a few lines yeah. that they were able to get right to the plot quickly. Yeah. And that, it drew us in probably very quickly, but also just audiences at the time. Yeah. I got, I gotta say, I was not expecting him to be kidnapped so early, and I wasn't expecting, like... Just the pacing of the film is really good yeah, throughout. Yeah. Like you're you're always just interested in what's gonna happen next. Yeah. So for anyone who hasn't watched it yet, um, it is a longer movie, but the pacing. See this for me, I thought the pace like the the length was actually pretty good. It's two hours and sixteen minutes. I think it's yeah. It's I mean it's way more accessible than um, Ben Hur. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. But for the average person who hasn't watched or delve too far into older movies, it is a little long. And that's where, uh, like, my partner's scale is off a little bit this week, <laughs> where uh, it was a little too long. But the the interactions just drew me in so much that yeah. you don't really notice the time. See, and I'm going to disagree with you a little bit, because you look at, like, the Avengers movies and other films that have been in the last 10 years, and they're pushing three hours again. They're, they're starting to get back yeah. up there. So I don't know if I, I necessarily agree with that. And, and with how crisp the pacing is throughout this film, it like I was never bored. I was never like like losing focus on this. And even Jess was 100% tuned in. This is the most tuned in out of any movie that we've watched on the podcast that she's been. It's probably just because of Cary Grant. Yeah, <laughs> she's actually already watched Cary Grant films as well. Yeah, so okay, we're nice. we're already kind of alluding to this. Roger Thornhill is played by Cary Grant. So Jess had already seen Cary Grant in Charade with Audrey Hepburn, and also An Affair to Remember. Okay, yeah. And uh, but other films that oh man, I'm getting the names mixed up now because we've got Roger Thornhill, George Kaplan, and Cary Grant the actor. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Cary Grant was actually also starred in To Catch a Thief with Grace Kelly. He was huge at the time. Yes, this is this is almost, a, well, this is the peak of Cary Grant, but he actually retired in the 60s, so only a few years after this. He was yeah. about 56 during this film. So he's he's even a bit older than maybe what they wanted for the role, but he's just such a good actor that I couldn't I can't picture anyone else yeah, at that time. They actually turned down someone else because they were too old looking mm-hmm. and then went with Cary Grant who is <laughs> yeah. 4 years older than the other guy. <laughs> yeah, that's how suave Cary Grant is. Mm-hmm. So our next character that we should talk about is Eve Kendall, the mysterious woman that Cary Grant meets on the train while he's trying to evade the police. And that comes, what, about 30, 40 minutes into the film? Yeah. She's played by Ava Marie Saint, who's actually still alive, 97 years old. And she's actually one of the last remaining actors from the that golden generation. yeah from the golden era yeah of film, wow which is she, really cool she was superman's mom yeah in uh superman returns and i distinctly remember her too yeah yeah <laughs> and that's not like a good movie by any means no <laughs> um but i do remember her her first film and what a high the, her first film ever was on the waterfront 
alongside Marlon Brando. Yeah. And in her first role, she won the Oscar for supporting role. Yeah, just absolutely amazing. Just like she hit a few just huge movies, and yeah. she deserved it. She was such a good actor in this, and she was just as electric as Cary Grant was. Yeah. And they matched, like, they meshed very well. Yeah. Yes, they did. The on-screen chemistry was there. Her character is so intriguing because when we meet her, she's just instantly, like, attracted and also helping Cary Grant out. Yeah. And, and I will say that, like you were saying, their chemistry is so great. Like, when they're sitting there on the train and having that kind of back and forth that's all those, like, sexual innuendos, <clears throat> I think if you had different actors in that role, then it would have come off as, like... Flat kind of, or yeah. corny or something like that. Yeah. But they, yeah, they acted the shit out of that, and it felt real. Yeah, it did and, feel real. And, like, as soon as I saw her, I was like, oh, she's, like... She's like my type. <laughs> she's smoking. She was like hilarious. Yeah. And um, yeah, just she kept up with Cary Grant's character yeah. the whole time. And it was great. Let's not go any further into her character quite yeah. yet because there's some really interesting stuff around her character that I don't want to spoil. Yeah. Philip Van Damme mm. is our nondescript, extremely wealthy villain throughout the film. He has such a familiar-looking face. I don't know if, like, I actually couldn't find other films that I've seen of him, but I just, like, I don't know. I Before watching this movie, I was like, if, if you had a line of people in a row, I'd be like, that's the guy, that's the bad guy. Yeah, yeah, 100%. He just has that face. So he's the guy who's looking to extract information from Kaplan, who's constantly chasing Kaplan around, trying to... And he's doing it in such a smart way. Mm, yes. They, like, the way he captures Kaplan and brings him to this grand estate that he is temporarily using, we find out later. <laughs> yeah. Like, that whole scenario, Van Damme thinks that Thornhill is doing the exact same thing mm -hmm. by being George Kaplan. Yeah. So, but he's actually, he's doing that stuff. So it's so much more believable that George Kaplan is just playing Roger Thornhill right now and that he set up this whole elaborate scheme. Yes. So that's why he won't believe that Roger Thornhill isn't just Roger Thornhill. That is, that's such a good line of thought that I, I didn't think about before. I, I didn't put that together that he's, he's almost projecting outwards. Yeah, his, his elaborate scheme is yeah. so elaborate that he believes <laughs> yeah. that, uh, so that makes so much sense for why, um, there's this mistaken identity. Yeah. And what a what a great first twist too in a movie full of twists when when you realize that the house that they were using wasn't actually his yeah, and was yeah. someone else's like like some other wealthy person. He house. was yeah he was he was acting as if he was a UN member yeah and that was the UN member's house yeah and he when he was in that house he looked like it was his house like he acted like it was his house yeah it's just and, so great and don't worry like. That's not even close to the the top of the top of good spoilers in the film yeah. or a good twist. Yeah. There's so many twists that I couldn't even list them all, I don't think. In this one was go. just a respectable small detail that was yeah. just so essential in building these characters. But so it makes it... Like, building it Van Damme, like Van Damme had to have this whole thing at the beginning so yeah. that we really understood how good he is, like how, how good he is at being bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, I want to talk about James Mason, the actor, a little bit first. He has 
uh, just a number of famous films that he starred in. And and also the directors that he starred in with films mm. is is kind of incredible. Let's look at the list here on Wikipedia really quick because I think Wikipedia actually summarizes it extremely well. He was in A Star is Born, which just had a very recent remake, which yeah. was extremely popular and I believe even won some Oscars. He was in Alfred Hitchcock's North by Northwest, what we're talking about now. Following that, he went to Stanley Kubrick in Lolita. Yeah, um, which is a massive cult classic. Yep. He was in Warren Beatty's Heaven Can Wait, which is a... Uh, uh, also very famous comedy that was nominated for some Oscars as well. So he's got some range. He's got some range. And and he was in The Verdict with one of our new favorites, Paul Newman. It's all connected. It's all connected. <laughs> he actually won, I believe he at least was nominated for or won an Oscar for his supporting role in The Verdict. I believe he mm. won it. So Awesome. So really yeah. cool. So... For this time, this was a star-studded cast. Oh, really. yeah. Like, they were all at the top of their games, and they were all working in um, all these amazing movies with these amazing directors, and they were all so highly respected that this, like, this is one of the, this is, like, rated one of the top 50 or 100. It's I know it's in the 100. Mm-hmm. It might even have been at one point in the fifth, top 50, like, best movies of all time. Yeah, it's like that movie Red Notice on Netflix with Ryan Reynolds, The Rock, and what's her name? She was in Batman vs. Superman. But it's actually a good movie, unlike that movie. <laughs> and honestly, if you wanted to watch something like Red Notice, you're probably just better off watching North by Northwest because it's it's kind of that similar like spy suspense intrigue film. Gal Gadot, yeah. Gal Gadot, yes. Yeah, so that that's like new, but yeah. Yeah, but it's like think about it. It's like it's like that level of charisma in a film that's actually good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. That's yeah. the point I'm trying to make. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like this is like I would say it's uh, I don't know, like Burn After Reading. I haven't seen that. Oh, you should definitely watch that because it's uh, star-studded and it's humorous and serious at the same time. Like, it's very similar to this. Mm. I wouldn't have drawn that comparison until you said uh, Red Notice, but Mm. Burn After Reading, that's uh, Brad Pitt and, like, a bunch of other amazing actors, and it's hilarious, and it's that's a phenomenal movie. Right. Only other point that I'm going to end on with James Mason is that he was close friends with Charlie Chaplin and his ashes were actually spread around Charlie Chaplin's grave site. That's how close of friends they were. Wow. Yeah. So it's always, it's always really interesting watching these older films because these are kind of, they're almost at the crossroads between old films and new films. Like these, these are getting into the Technicolor. I love when they say Technicolor on the the intro of these films. Yeah. Um, It's always like, like advertised like yeah. like you have like it's it's technicolor it's gonna be amazing <laughs> yeah and they use it well mm-hmm. all the scenery is phenomenal in this so yeah yeah so so charlie chaplin is like the greatest of the silent film era and then we've got this film which is almost at that crossroads and then we, we get into the 70s and then we get into like modern movies basically yeah. That interesting connection there. And and there's a few other actors in this film, too, that are born in, like, the 1800s, so, yeah. which is wild. Like, Hitchcock, I believe, himself was born in, like, 1897 or something crazy. Yeah. But, but anyway, I only have one other actor that I really want to mention really quick is The Professor, 
played by Leo yes. G. Carroll. That's what I was going to bring up. Yeah. Yeah. He was the head of Uncle in the show The Man from Uncle. Yeah, yeah. So definitely uh, typecast into a role after this film. Yeah. And he had a bunch of roles that were very similar. Is what Like that's where I was going to go with that. Yeah. Yeah, he's and he's the leader of the CIA in the film or the FBI. I can't remember which. He says like he's like I'm a part of all of the three yeah. letter. We um, all work together. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> it's it, oh no, he says we're all part of the same alphabet soup. Yes, that's <laughs> which his, is a great that's line. That's his famous line. Yeah, yeah. Um, so before we move on, let's talk Hitchcock a little bit. This isn't his first. This isn't a second highest rated film. This is fourth highest yeah. fil- rated film behind Psycho, Rear Window, and Vertigo, which in and of itself kind of blows my mind that it's the fourth highest because this movie is so good that I I can't even imagine how great the other ones are. I know, and I've been meaning to get more into the like all of the Hitchcock films. Mm-hmm. It's it's on everyone's list. Yeah. And each of his movies, like Psycho, is high up that list. I just haven't got to it for for no reason. Yeah. But now that we're getting more and more into these, I want to delve like full on in. Yeah. And I watched. I actually did watch Vertigo, maybe a month or two ago now. And I wasn't. I I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I just. I, maybe I wasn't in the right headspace going into it. And it was a bit slower. It's kind of a romantic film. Mm. It was good, but I I think North by Northwest beats it by a mile in terms of entertainment. Yeah, and just talking about that like comparison, there is romance in this, mm-hmm. and the romance again like we've watched a few old movies now and um like in this era I should say, mm-hmm. and the love how it happens how it's portrayed on scene is so characteristic to that time, and it's funny to me when I'm watching like how he just like it's like a a snap of the fi- it's yeah. like love at first sight every time yeah there was some good like back and forth in it but like just the concept of love at that time was so strange yeah and i can agree with that i think you can also we could also talk quickly about hitchcock and the way he portrays women in film is really interesting and you this is almost i think this is your first hitchcock yeah, it is. So so I watched Vertigo, and then I watched this, and even after two films, I kind of picked up on it. I was like, ah, this is there's something here about the way he's portraying women, and he, I think he's probably one of the first people to ever portray women in a in a really complex way. Yeah. Like, they're not necessarily, like, good love interests. They're not necessarily all bad. Like, they, they've got different, they're like ogres with onions. Um, <laughs> there's layers to them? Yeah, yeah okay. they have layers. <laughs> they, but they're usually all not ogre looking. <laughs> I don't think that's where you're going with that. Looking, no, but, but uh, <laughs> to I would have to watch a few other like I have seen some older movies in before and around this time mm-hmm. where the women weren't yeah as well rounded as it, as in this movie Eve balanced Roger so well like they they like they played with each other in like a um like a back and forth way that was very respectable i think because he respected her um like everything that she said kind of right but it's and it's even the complexity though of like her character and her character's arc that for spoiler reasons i don't want to talk further than that but on the flip side you've got his mom who's yeah. like 
completely, you know, just shooting him down the whole time. Like, and you could almost see exactly why he's so funny because his his mom is so funny. Too. Yeah, yeah. But, and that's that's kind of exactly what I'm saying because like his humor, his character is the central, like is part of his central character theme, I guess. And um, every woman in the film is hilarious. Yeah. So it's awesome to see that like it balances like it's not just like the guy being the funny guy. Yeah, or even necessarily like the main hero of the story. Like obviously he's the hero of the story, but yeah. he just kind of like bumbles his way through it. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, well, while she is like a professional and yeah. his mom is just hilarious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Hitchcock other just little things that I want to mention. He's really known for his suspense and his twists. There are so many things that Hitchcock started and influenced and other people played with and built upon to great success later in film. Yeah. He started a lot of things that made all of the movies that you enjoy today good. And just how prolific he was too at the time. He put out, he directed 50 films in over 60, just over 60 years. So that's almost a movie a year for yeah. 60 years. That's wild. Yeah. And to keep going that long, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I feel like that must be a record for the longest uh, director. And like, I can't say that for sure, but it's definitely up there. I yeah. think the only ones that you have maybe are that, that crazy dude who like knows karate. Um, Steven you know, Seagal? Yeah. He's, man, you know how many movies he's directed? It's, it's oh, yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, it's but, almost as many as Bruce Willis has been in. Yeah. In but, the last like 10 years. Is there a correlation there? Are they all in the same? I'm just kidding. But, um, <laughs> but that, yeah, sure, someone's been in it just as long. But to be in it and Alfred Hitchcock? <laughs> yeah. Like, like top, actually top, good. yeah, top yeah. director. Not, not just a B, C. Like, Steven Seagal's like a D list. Yeah, <laughs> like it's not if even that. it's not even straight to VHS. It's still straight to VHS. While we have Blu-ray and streaming, yeah, yeah, or twenty twenty-two. I don't yeah. even know what year it is anymore. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Hitchcock, he was known as the master of suspense. Yeah, yeah. To have that suspense built into such a funny, enjoyable movie mm-hmm. was amazing because he was known so much for just like the scary suspense. Yeah, where you're worried throughout the whole thing you're like what's gonna happen next but in this you're like like i can't wait to see what's gonna happen next i'm so super excited for it there's suspense built there but i know it's gonna be awesome it's that tension back and forth between the comedy and the the actual suspense that and what's going on in the film that's it walks a really fine line that often other films maybe push one way too much in one direction or the other yeah there is actually one more person important to the film that I do want to talk about, and that's Ernest Lehman. The he wrote the screenplay for the film. Yeah. So, I believe this is actually based on a uh, a book. Um, but the no, it wasn't. Ah, can you look that up really quick? Um, but Ernest Ernest Lehman was actually. I'm gonna list this out to you. He was he wrote the screenplays. For The King and I, West Side Story, which is funny that yeah, uh, that's yeah. referenced in the film, and The Sound of Music. So he's kind of a prolific like musical writer. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> but he wanted to make the most Hitchcock of Hitchcock films of yes. all time. And I got to say, he I think he succeeded. Yes, he did. And yeah, like that that's what he set out to do. Mm-hmm. The way this movie came about, 
Alfred Hitchcock uh, was supposed to do a film for MGM. They had a budget and everything. They were supposed to do it on the the novel The Wreck of Mary Deer. Who who cares about that? Because it didn't turn into this. Right. He sat down with Layman, who was like, "I like I have something for you," mm-hmm. and like they just had to work together. Mm-hmm. And Alfred Hitchcock was like, "I want something where there's a like mistaken identity with kidnapping and the oh yeah, what's the four heads of the United States thing? Mount Rushmore. Yeah, Mount Rushmore. He also had a four thing in it that didn't make it into the movie as well. It, there was something big and crazy that they wanted to do too. They just came together as two people, that, like that wanted to work together and build something, and they had like three like main ideas, and they just ran with it. And Layman just knocked it out of the park for Alfred to actually also knock it out of the park. Yeah, actually, this is what they wanted, and Layman was like, "There's no way we could do this." But Hitchcock wanted the hero to be stranded like in the middle of nowhere, like we see in the film. Yeah. But he wanted the villains to try to kill him with a tornado. And Layman was like, <laughs> like, how, what are, how, how? Do we a, just wait for yeah. a tornado? Like, <laughs> like, like, how are they going to do that? Yeah. Like, how are we going to film that? Yeah. No. Huh. Um, but that turns into one of the most iconic scenes in cinema ever. And one of my favorite scenes in cinema ever. Wizard of Oz? No, in this film. Oh, okay. I, I don't <laughs> I'm just, talk I'm about just it. kidding. I'm yeah, kidding. <laughs> I, I don't want to talk about that scene anymore because it's coming. It's yeah. so good. It's it's so good. It reminds me of so much. Like, I'm probably gonna see the comparisons of what that scene, what happened in that scene, to like other stuff that I watched throughout the rest of my life. I think because yeah, it, it's yeah. such a great tense scene, but I can't talk about it yet because I don't want to ruin it for you if you haven't seen this movie yet. All right. Well, well let's do. Who is this movie for? Obviously, if you're a Hitchcock fan, like, I don't know why you haven't seen this yeah, yet. Yeah, yeah. If you're, you have the idea that you want to watch an Alfred Hitchcock movie, then you should watch... I would say start with this. It's, this is a it's gateway. A, yeah, it's yeah. definitely a phenomenal start to getting into Hitchcock. I agree. I think this was a much better accessible watch than Vertigo was. And so if you're a fan of him, if you're a fan of suspense, if you're a fan of spy or espionage type films. Or parody uh, films of those genres. Yeah. Yep. Like, what was it? Uh, the one with Steve Carell, Get Smart oh, or yes, something? Yes, Get Smart. Yeah, Get Smart. Which in itself is based on a TV show, which came out, I believe, Early. in the 60s, yeah, yeah, following yeah. this the, film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which probably has its roots in something Exactly, like this as well. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he's basically trying to be like George Kaplan, but also James Bond. Which, yeah. So it's a whole parody of that. Like, it's almost its whole its own genre. Yep. And um, so if you're a fan of, like, funny spy things. Yeah. Like, there's a new seri- new one out called MacGruber, mm-hmm. which would be a good comparison, I think. Yeah, but- I, and I was reading some... So for some of the legacy and MacGruber does come up. So as, yeah. as kind of a, a more recent homage. spin on this, yeah, homage, yeah. Yeah. spin, whatever. Those are the big ones that I have. Again, Idris Elbra's character in the Suicide Squad. If you liked that portrayal, I think you're going to like Cary Grant's portrayal as well. Mm. I didn't have too much else I wanted to say for who this movie is for, though. I think general audiences would enjoy yeah. this film. So what I would just like, it's it's a popcorn film. Yes. Like, it's, grab it's some popcorn. popcorn and enjoy it. 
there's not anything super serious being talked about. There's not anything to discuss shatter your mind and like go into something deep yeah but you could walk away for like five minutes or even get into this movie somewhere you know 10 15 minutes in and still be hooked i think yeah 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 it's just enjoyable so it's so when to watch would be friday saturday night yeah know what i would say friday night I because, said Friday night as yes, well. Yes, nice. I, I think there's a distinction between what I want to watch on a Friday night and what I want to watch on a Saturday. Yeah, night. because Friday wish- night you are done with the week and yeah. you want to enjoy something. Yeah. Whereas Saturday night you have a bit more energy and you might be like, let's go into something. Yeah. 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 I I very much agree with that. That's the exact take that I had. We're actually recording this on a Friday because yeah. we're a little bit late, and I kind of now that we say that want to rewatch it tonight, but. <laughs> Oh, there's so many movies to watch this. Yeah, but this one's good. Yeah, I I can't wait good. to watch this again. Yeah. So the other thing is, is like, it's it's such, again, and I've already said this before, but the 200 hours and 16 minutes is so crisp. It's so, it's never plotting. Like it's, it's always, it's always moving at a good enough pace that, you know, even if you're a little tired on that Friday night, you're going to be okay with it. Yeah. And honestly, almost every single one of the lines that Cary Grant, says Mm -hmm. is so entertaining yeah it just keeps everything moving forward you you just want to hear more of what he has to say and um how the other characters react to it because the other characters have great lines in response or that lead to him saying something hilarious so yeah that's i would say like the dialogue is almost what keeps everything going you know what that reminds me of, actually, is the movie Fletch from the 80s with uh, Chevy Chase. Mm. Chevy Chase would be a good... Yeah, I could see that. So, yeah. So, he basically... Everybody plays an extremely straight character, and he's a wise-ass throughout the entire yeah, film. Yeah, yeah, And it's a spy movie as well. I bet you that is very much rooted in this film, 100%. Too. Yeah, because, yeah, Chevy Chase... Or Chevy Chase, he's so funny like almost every line you're you're hooked on it and that's where you see Cary Grant shine in this comedic role yeah because he had a lot of serious roles too over his career but that comparison Mm -hmm. I think works well and if I don't know the the last time I've seen Chevy Chase was in Hot Tub Time Machine I think and he had the best lines in that yeah movie wise probably I I think of him in community community yes yes um, (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah that's more recent yeah uh, he's a different he's this, quite, yeah. slightly different character there um, yeah yeah but i'm but i mean all of this all of this shit's funny oh yeah he's hilarious yeah where to watch right now you can watch it streaming on crave stars or amazon stars i don't have access to either so what i did was this time i actually tried renting it on youtube just to see what the experience was like renting a movie on youtube visually and audio wise it was great streaming it through the tv it was a little bit frustrating initially to kind of set it up and mm. pay for it, but once we got that on the smart TV, then it worked really well after that. So nice. I was looking into trying, like I was trying to rent one of our previous movies on YouTube, and I was just so tired. And there was like, there was two more clicks, that, and I would have got there, but I couldn't do it. <laughs> so yeah. that's good. Once you get it there, it's yeah. decent. Yeah, it's not too bad, honestly. I think that if you're going to rent it from somewhere, I do think that I prefer the Amazon mm. um, interface, even though the Amazon Prime interface is garbage. Oh, yeah. It's not bad renting, I find. Yeah. But, yeah, YouTube was a little frustrating setup, but once all good, hmm. it was it was a good viewing experience. Nice. I think at this point, it's a good spot to cut it off. We've 
done as spoiler-free as possible up until this point for a movie that came out in 1959. Yeah. So if you haven't seen this yet, I, again, can't recommend this one enough either because it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like we're cherry-picking only really great movies. Which, and that makes it sound like we just love all movies. Yeah. Which we kind of do, but these are just great movies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we did watch Soylent Green, which you yeah. and I weren't like we didn't, super high yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. But we're talking about a podcast about great old movies, trying yeah. to get people in the old movies. Yeah. So I feel like I feel like we're doing the right thing, talking yeah, the movies yeah. we want to talk about. But It's not like we're going to pick all the worst and just make a whole podcast about <laughs> that, right? <laughs> yeah. There's already podcasts for that, for old bad movies. That's true. That's true. Um, so we're doing our own thing. There's this one podcast where a guy watches a single movie every like month for a year and just like goes over it and over it and over <laughs> it and like starts to pick out like you know what this scene I hated the first 20 times but now I kind of get it we're, so yeah. spoiler free spoiler free is over yeah we're talking spoilers all the time now um, free spoilers free spoilers for your <laughs> from, car. from the rest of the podcast on we go spoiler free and then we go free spoilers yeah we free the spoiler yes well hashtag free the spoiler (laughs) (laughs) this is so dumb yeah (laughs) let's talk themes all right Um, so what's really interesting about this movie is that hitchcock wanted to film with the absence of themes um he just essentially was looking for a a really good story a good yeah, plot yeah um and and what that kind of turns into is is kind of a good suspense action flick from start to finish yeah and i think that this is the precursor this has the dna of a lot of modern movies where yeah. it doesn't have those themes necessarily but it, it's just like that the trajectory of the plot and the action that the characters yeah. are on yeah yeah that's i see that because it's almost reverse to his other movies where like theme from what I've read is very essential and just overall a lot of themes like pre 2000s were theme heavy a lot of great movies were theme heavy but now we are kind of seeing things where it's like a lack of that um substance yeah that people are just watching a movie to enjoy and that is completely fair but um he was already thinking about that way back in 1959. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. But, you know, there are obviously some themes within the film that are just naturally developed. Like the mistake, yeah. the idea of mistaken identity. Yeah. That is is what drives the film, essentially. Yeah, it's not a huge theme. It's not like uh, like love conquers evil or anything like yeah. that. It's just um, like this is it. Like it was just it's a very small theme. Yeah. Done well. Yeah, exactly. Um, and there's also the idea of the Cold War as the backdrop of the film. Yeah. Because um, that plays a bit of a part as well in the tensions between the good and evil characters. But otherwise, there really isn't much else to talk about for themes. Yeah, like the love part, it's it's there, but it's it's just like comedic and um, a, it's a little intense. It's uh, their kissing is not very sexual. <laughs> They were kissing, they, they were just pressing their mouths together, so you can't say that's a theme. I love how you're rating their kisses. Can well, we make that a segment? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, just rating kisses in movies? Honestly, the, their kisses were like a four. Like, it was like, 
uh like when i um like you ever go see like your cousins and they have kids and you see their their kids who are like three years old kiss their mother and it's like they don't understand what a kiss is they're just pressing their mouth against someone Uh, else that's exactly what the kisses looked like but they acted it up but they didn't do anything i don't think every film needs tongue in it though you know what i i kind of wish there was in this just because it looked like they were just smashing faces you know without doing anything you know what the you all right so this is a whole side tangent here, but I'm really enjoying this. All right. What's a 10 in your mind for kisses? Because I've got it in my head already. Ooh. <laughs> what's what's the greatest kiss of kisses? Because like I said, I've already figured it out. In film, I'm assuming yep, we're talking about not talking in my film. life because that gets a little... I can't talk about that. <laughs> or it's um, sad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have one off the top of my head. All right. Head. You ready for mine? Yeah. All right. It's obviously the Princess Bride. Because there was, <laughs> yeah. You remember the quote where he's like, ah, like you know, there was the greatest five kisses to ever happen in the history of humankind, and this one blew them all out of the water. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Was it as like was it the best on film? I don't know, but it was like I see the connection. That was pretty funny. I see yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's such a great movie. I can't wait until we do that one because I'm gonna be hyped the whole time. Like, yeah, you guys yeah. think I'm riding high right now? Wait till you talk. Listen to me talk about the Princess Bride. Yeah. Oh, such a good movie. Yeah. All right, let's move on from this really random tangent <laughs> that we got a new weird segment out of. Let's talk some effects and filming. So, do you want to start with the locations? Just to go back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the Spider-Man kiss is one of the top ten. Oh, when he's upside down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You but can't, you can't see what I'm doing right yeah. now? <laughs> <laughs> he's doing like a weird, t- uh, like his fingers <laughs> in fingers. front of his face, just like tickling each other. Yeah. Uh, Rose and Jack. Um, mm, yeah. Han and Leia. Honestly. I think, so. I, I still think Buttercup and the Dread Pirate Robbins. <laughs> <laughs> Effects of filming. So locations so a lot of the locations are filmed on the location of the famous set like they were they filmed that on rushmore um and something that hitchcock really wants to get for whatever reason he was really fixated on this was to get uh cary grant inside of lincoln's nose yeah yeah um and the people who i guess the rangers or whatever who maintain um, the park the people in charge of the park yeah yeah. were eventually just like you know what they were like how would you like it if lincoln was sneezing in cary grant's nose (laughs) yeah yeah it's like all right yeah yeah (laughs) yeah so that's a funny thing that happened with the effects in filming i think i think it would have been um i think it would have kind of worked in the film but it would have been a little bit too forced Mm -hmm. but I could see, like, they might have... If anyone could have pulled it off, it was Cary Grant and Alfred Hitchcock running that whole thing together, yeah. Yeah, so a lot of these locations are, in fact, the famous locations. The one that's really interesting that I did want to talk about was the UN building. Mm, Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. They secretly filmed the the exterior of that because they they didn't get the rights to it. No, it was the interior. No, the interior was made up, the exterior. No. here here's how it happened (laughs) so uh they weren't allowed to film anything about it yeah so they had a um a hidden camera go inside film everything and then they were able to then recreate the set Mm. after right but based on the film that they had basically snuck in and stole right 
But the only thing with – oh, where is it now? One sec. The, so, so yeah, they but they did film the exterior of it secretly. Um, they basically uh, had uh, Cary Grant pull up in a taxi – um right outside of it and then walk into or across the plaza yeah and somebody actually like recognized Cary Grant as, as he was walking so if you're watching really closely you can actually see somebody like do a double take as Cary oh Grant no was. way yeah oh that's awesome <laughs> which is funny because yeah. it also kind of works into the movie too right because yeah. at this point in time Cary Grant's like a wanted man yeah 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 so <laughs> it doesn't stand out but it does stand out yeah oh awesome the one of the main things for me was just through my interest in film. I had watched like years ago a clip, probably on YouTube, of like random scenes where someone in the scene broke the fourth wall, and one of them is the uh, classic scene in North by Northwest where Cary Grant gets shot by Eva, um, sorry Eve in the character, mm-hmm. um, with a. A gun that had blanks in it right and so in that scene if you're watching it there's a little kid in there who like everyone's acting this scene out but he knows that this uh loud bang is gonna happen from this gun so he preemptively closes his ears with his fingers right before the shot goes off so that's another little effects in filming like blooper that's one of the classics did you notice that too beforehand or do you just know it because of the watching that on YouTube like as a goof kind of thing. So I watched it on YouTube as a goof a long time ago and then I watched the scene. I didn't catch it this uh, okay. time. So that's one where I dropped the ball. I usually catch a bunch of stuff like that, but <laughs> I just saw that on reviewing, looking research. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh my God, I remember that. So that's like one of the like classic scenes especially for back then of um like it was almost breaking the fourth wall like just someone right who it was just a kid he didn't know yeah um all right i want to talk carrie grant a little bit in effects and filming so he had no idea throughout the movie what the movie was about and he thought it was kind of a disaster like he was just like no way this movie's awful <laughs> um i'm not happy with it like i don't get it like <laughs> and so hitchcock was even more happy with how things were going because yeah. of Hugh, like Cary Grant's, I keep saying Hugh Grant, <laughs> uh, but because of Cary Grant's just like general demeanor of like what yeah, the hell's yeah. happening because that's because his that's, character. That's his character, yeah. yeah. So he thought it made the portrayal more realistic, Yeah, great. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Because did. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> because, yeah, he was probably just as snappy like as Cary Grant is as Thornhill was. And yeah. so his lines just came off that way perfectly. Yeah. yeah. Cary Grant's suit is one of the most iconic suits in all of film. The impact that it had on clothing design was very important for the 60s. In addition, it's he, that suit has actually been used in films subsequently. So Tom wow. Cruise used it. No way. Um, and Ben Affleck have used it before. Ben so, Affleck. Ben, yes. Ben, I don't know how I said it. <laughs> it was wrong. I, I heard it ben and Affleck, I said it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so... It was kind of it was something random that I was just reading about, but I was like, "Ah, oh, that's that's kind of neat." One thing that is kind of effects in filming, but it's almost more in the movie, mm-hmm. is just how cool of an idea it was that these CIA agents. So they created the character George Kaplan mm-hmm. as a ruse for as a cover for one of their actual agents, right. so that uh, so this 
George Kaplan had multiple hotels around the country that like he was moving towards and a whole schedule and everything. Mm-hmm. And the foreign spies figured it out and they're like, oh, he's going to be there. And then every single hotel room, like they created this elaborate identity, identity yeah. where uh, someone would call the reception from his phone in his hotel room and say, oh, I need my suit cleaned and mm-hmm. or like... I'm going to check out at this time or forward this mail for me. So that was just like a really cool concept. Yeah, I agree. I I feel like hadn't happened before. And I I don't know if I've seen someone do that since really. No, because I I wasn't expecting it. I was really confused by it. Yeah. Because often in older movies, you almost feel the twist coming because they've just been parodied so often. Yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, that one, that one was intriguing. I was like, I was like, ah, what, like, what's going on yeah like the whole this agent actually doesn't exist yeah thing i don't know if it had happened before but they played it off so well well and they made it sound like so believable and that scene as well where we get all the different cia members like the leaders and they're all talking yeah and like that moment is just like oh man like that's crazy yeah 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 i did not see that coming where george kaplan is just a made-up character yeah as a ruse too yeah like, and then we see them discussing, oh, so this Roger Thornhill just fell into becoming our yeah. uh, George Kaplan and the uh, enemy thinks he's that guy that we created out of thin air. Mm-hmm. We have to leave this. We we have to let him, like, we have to let it run its course. And that kind of sets that idea in, like, the public, like, the audience's mind, like, okay, like, the, the CIA really is doing all this crazy shit. Yeah, it's just written very well. Yeah, um, yeah. And the ideas are very unique and even hard to, like, copy in yeah, other films. Yeah, The plane scene. Yeah, so yeah. The we had scene, to get to that. Yeah. So... This is like the chariot scene from Ben-Hur. This is. I agree. And that's what's on the poster is, like, Cary Grant ran, running away from the plane. Yeah. This is, like, one of the most tense scenes in all of film, where you really don't know what's going to happen because you know whatever's going to happen, it's not going to be good. He's agreed to meet up with a CIA member, but you know that who he's agreed to meet up with is not the CIA, it's actually the bad guys. So he's like suspicious, there's trucks just blasting by him kind of thing, like somebody could take him out at any moment. Yeah, You get this car come out of like the cornfield just slowly and you're like, Yeah, oh, that must be George Kaplan or whoever's going to grab him now. Yeah. And all the while, there's the the little plane. What's it called? Where it's cro- the crop dusting plane. Yeah, yeah. Is in the background. He just he's kind of watching it. It's in the like it's in the background. It's in the foreground the whole the whole time. And then the guy who steps out of that car that comes yeah. out of the field. And they have that tense moment where he's like, "Are you who I think you are?" Yeah. And the guy's like, "Well, I don't think so." And, and but like you don't know yeah. if that's if he's actually being honest or not. Yeah, but the the guy does come off as like I didn't think it was him either. Like as soon as I right as soon as they started talking, I had the quote. He's like, ah, oh, that's strange, because because they're waiting yeah. for the bus. He's yeah. like, ah, oh, I'm just waiting for the bus to get into town. He's like, ah, oh, that's really weird. And, and Carrie Grant's like, what? He's like, that plane's crop dusting over there, but there's no crops. And then you're, and then it, it's like, yeah, it's like he's smashes like a, you in the head. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's weird. Yeah, <laughs> and and then so he gets on the the bus and leaves, and then you see like the the 
the bus moves away and the plane's coming straight for him and you're like oh damn it's on yeah (laughs) and uh what that uh the man at the prairie crossing Uh said uh so uh roger goes up to him he's like your name isn't kaplan is it and he the guy's like can't say it is because it ain't and like that's a classic like type of line i've heard that before Mm. too so it's another quote that kind of comes up later in films i feel right and yeah yeah like that scene well crafted and then um even just like how he ran into the corn Mm -hmm. like you could tell this is just an ad executive yeah (laughs) like you can feel that from him like he's not used to like he's not a soldier he's not a cia or anything like that like the way he like flops onto the ground the way he acted that was just phenomenal yeah, it, it's such a fun scene, and it's a tension that it builds as you're like, ah, is this it? Is this it? Yeah, is this yeah. gonna happen? And like, yeah, you kind of had this idea. Well, you you basically know at this point that um, Eve was playing him. Yeah, but you don't know what's gonna happen at this scene. Yeah, yeah, it it's such a great scene. So the plane itself was a real plane. However, the plane crash was actually a model truck and a model plane. Like they were large models, yeah. um, but that's what they used to to film that scene. I feel like they did it well. I wouldn't have known that without no, I didn't looking know that, that up. Yeah, yeah. And that's where I was I was actually really interested in learning about that scene because it wasn't like with the boats uh, in Ben-Hur where you could kind of be like, ah, yeah, like yeah. you know, like there's those are obviously not the real boats, like, and you could kind of tell that. You can kind of tell, but the waves and everything look so real in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was close; it just wasn't quite yeah. there. Whereas yeah. the the plane scene, like, I I legitimately was like, how did they just film that plane running into that gas tank there with, you know, like how how do you film that without killing somebody? Yeah, yeah. So, it just it was really interesting the way they did that. There's a few just things that I like to look at. Mm-hmm. The house, the Van Damme house, mm. was just such an unreal looking, like, that's obviously like a bad guy's hangout. You mean the final hangout? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, above okay. above, above uh, Mount Rushmore. Right, which and was actually not a real house. They just built, like, designed that kind of... Yeah, yeah, like, it wasn't an actual house i wished it was because i was like i want to go there i want i want that house do you think anybody's ever built rebuilt that house somewhere like i hope so someone (laughs) someone like frank gary like that looked like a frank if you're into architecture frank gary built some amazing um architecture and like this reminded me of that yeah the fact that it wasn't a real house it looked so real and so awesome that it had to be like the evil guy's house yeah i very much agree with that as a side note the main henchman he portrayed evil so well like he just looked like the like yeah i'm gonna yeah. do evil yeah like, yeah <laughs> you know what i mean yeah and i was like ah like i've seen this guy somewhere and i haven't but he's just like he's just such a good job at portraying evil yeah. that like i feel like he's been imitated since yeah you're, you're talking about the one who like actually like um he was the one in like the lighter brown suit i feel like throughout the movie no he's like his uh he's van damme's like, like second guy this yeah that guy yeah yeah in the final scenes he did such a good job because i didn't know if he was about to shoot van damme yeah for real 
And that's where, like, that kind of plot twist... I thought he did shoot him. I was like, oh my god, like, this is quite a twist here. Yeah, and then they come back at you with, I found Eve's gun full of blanks. Yeah. Like, he he actually, like, aimed at him and shot him. That that scene actually got me. Yeah, I I really enjoyed that scene. He actually... um, I wasn't going to get into this, but there's also some homoerotic stuff going on with his character as well. He wanted to portray his character as in love with Van Damme. Yeah, yeah. um, Whereas... Van Damme, like the James Mason was like, no, nah, like I, like I'm not, it, like, yeah. it, like my character's not in love with him at all. It's kind of cool that again in 1959, another film as famous where they're as exploring Ben-Hur. exploring that area of yeah. and Hitchcock loved it. Yeah, yeah, he loved it. He was like, yeah, like like the way you're playing this character is great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's talk score. I don't have much to add to score on this one. It was Bernard Herman who scored this film. He actually scored most of Hitchcock's films, as well as Citizen Kane, The Day the Earth Stood Still, Cape Fear, Taxi Driver, and The Twilight Zone Show. So, Hmm. pretty prolific. very prolific. Yeah. Those are all, like, classics in their own genres. Exactly. I don't have much to talk about in score, other than... The, it's a very atmospheric score, and it really adds to what's happening in the film. It's not something like Jaws that like has that theme. Yeah, or yeah, like, yeah. But it's it's not its own character within the film or anything no, like that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that. I actually though I do add the asterisks in though, where I actually re-listened to it last night, and I could distinctly visualize in my mind what was going on during the different points in the score like the it does a really good job of tying in what's happening in the film to the music and the tone of the the yeah yeah i I thought that was really cool that like i watched this movie about a week and a half ago and it was my first viewing so there's obviously scenes that have really stuck with me but to listen from start to finish to the score and be like oh yeah okay i i can picture like carrie grant being kidnapped i can picture cary grant now on drunk in the car now and now he's on the train like yeah it it was it was kind of cool to have that connection while i was listening to Mm -hmm. it yeah know what uh to go back to effects and filming this (laughs) this tiny little thing was so funny the little razor the little the little shaving kit Mm -hmm. was just such a funny little add-in so um in the train, uh, Eve has her own apartment, basically thing compartment with a non-suite, and so that you can stay overnight and be comfortable. And um, in the bathroom, Roger Thornhill goes in there and he finds like the tiniest little shaving razor and the tiniest little brush, and then he uses them later, and he uh, like puts the shaving cream on his face with this little thing and it disguises him from the police for a little minute. And uh, then him, like he starts after the police are gone, he starts shaving it off and he looks to the guy next to him who has a full size straight razor. And the guy looks at him. He's like, what are you doing? And he's (laughs) just like, he just shows it to him and they're both like, wow, like that's <laughs> tiny. Yeah. Like, it was just such a funny little thing <laughs> to add in that, that added so much like of that comedic relief and everything that, yeah, it was just phenomenal. Yeah. There's so many, there's so many little details in the film that get called back later. Yeah. Um, 
that's that's really tight writing in my yes, opinion. Yes, yes. Um, that everything means something to something else, but it also doesn't mean like it's not like pulling towards a larger theme. It's just like you know different throwbacks to different yeah, things happening yeah. throughout the film, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I don't know how early that kind of idea started. I want to yeah. say it probably started with Hitchcock, where like the the small little detail from earlier has a lot to do. Uh, it, it's just little things. The continuity is just like adds so much to like the comedy and everything that they were going for in this. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Are you ready to talk legacy? Yeah. Okay. We have to talk Oscars to start because that's the whole, that was the whole theme of the last two movies. North by Northwest is nominated for three Oscar awards in 1959. Didn't win a single one. Um, uh, well, because of Ben Hur, basically. Yeah. So it law. So it uh, was nominated for best editing, best art direction, and best original screenplay. Um, the first two went to Ben Hur, so best editing and best art direction. I think I can I can be satisfied with that for both yeah. of those. Like North by Northwest is an amazing film. They had great editing, too. Yeah, like, and again, this is where we talked last time a little bit. I want to watch five years before, five years after, and see the movies, and if if any of them can compare to these two films, because 1959 was a really good year for films, apparently. Yeah, yeah, Um, it's like Muscle Cars in 1969. Like, it was just, that was the year for them. Yeah, exactly. So, best original screenplay, they lost to a movie called Pillow Talk, is really funny, because that you and I, before deciding on the two films that we chose, we looked at probably almost a dozen films yeah. that came out in 1959 that either got a lot of uh, Oscar nods or didn't get Oscar nods, or and, were just like some of the classic actors and actresses yeah, of the time. Exactly that we have wanted to watch. Like yeah, Pillow Talk wasn't even on our radar, no. which is wild. Um, and I, I don't even, it's not even in like the top 250 films or anything like that. So I, I, I don't know anything about it, which is kind of interesting that it won over. Oh, that's the Oscar. That's the Oscars for you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Partially. Uh, I think, and you know what? I think that realistically that this maybe should have won over that. And that's me just saying based on having no knowledge of what pillow talk even is. But Mm. so we didn't, we talked about the nominations, but we didn't talk about Cary Grant and not being nominated for uh, Best Actor. So, obviously, that went to Ben-Hur Charleston and Charlton Heston. Heston. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that you could make a case that Cary Grant's portrayal was more iconic? Hmm. Because that, that's what's been bounced around my mind all week. You know what? Like, based on what the character was, like, like the character... Mm-hmm. has been replicated so many more times than I would say Ben-Hur has. Right. Because Ben-Hur wasn't really that much of a character. What well, what are we talking nominated for? Are you saying best actor? Yeah, it was... It best was, actor. It was best... best ro- or I think it was best role or something like that. I can't remember. Yeah, like it depends on the definition that we're looking at here because I would say um, Cary Grant's North by Northwest, Roger Thornhill is a better character that is long-lasting and referenceable than... It's just best actor. Yeah. I think that I could make an argument that Cary Grant, his portrayal was just more entertaining, was more... um, 
was more complicated and dynamic than uh than ben-hur like so we talked hugh griffith in the, the last one and him playing the sheik and yeah, how yeah. electric he was in there yeah and i think in terms of best supporting actor i think hands down he's got it out of any of the supporting actors yeah, in yeah. those two films very much so but i i think that just with how i i don't know it's really hard to say because it's we're comparing apples to oranges here because yeah. Hugh Grant's character is again he's like that irritated like ad exec uh who's taken way out of his comfort zone and just suave but also yeah. like so I, I would say there's almost like a split between like Charlton Heston's character was very old school, whereas yeah, he's playing um, a biblical character. Yeah, he's playing like no, he's but like, I, I mean old school film. Like yeah. ev- every portrayal was a little bit overacted. Every like his his sneers were a little too he's, sneery. He was like his he was like, love was a little too lovey. He was like as far in like like good character looking for redemption like he was yeah, like the nobleman yeah. yeah yeah and it's almost boring to a mm. certain point like he just played the character and he wasn't the character whereas Cary Grant was compl- he was so in the role yeah like nothing takes you out of it for Cary Grant's role nothing takes you out of it and to me that's a better acting better character better uh portrayal yeah with Ben Hur, a few things did take me out of it. Where I'm like, like he's really trying to act this up. <laughs> like he was acting as if he, like he was acting in the old style. Mm. Whereas I think Cary Grant was a little ahead in acting in a more genuine way. Yeah, he was a little bit more authentic to who yeah. he was. Yeah, like maybe just the characters aligned a lot more for him because he, like he, he was comedic throughout his career overall right like suave and comedic like that's kind of his shtick yep but um yeah it is apples to oranges there yeah like could you swap them and it work i I, think so i think cary grant could go to ben hur but uh, i don't know if charlton oh i see what you mean sorry not that that's what makes you get an oscar but it's just they're they're very different when you when you think about it that way you'd almost be looking ah i don't know i almost think that i could see charlton heston playing um carrie grant's character here more than i can see carrie grant playing ben hur though i don't think i haven't seen enough to say like i think he would overact the funny scenes and he wouldn't be natural at the funny scenes in north by northwest charlton heston wouldn't yeah wouldn't fill Cary Grant's shoes, but I think almost any actor could have played Ben Hur because it's so obvious what your tr- what what Charlton Heston was displaying. Right. He was he was displaying anger and he was displaying hurt and he was displaying um, love for his country and all those yep. kinds of things in and like especially in his love scenes where he was like, I don't know. Yeah. I think Cary Grant did a better job. I think that's where I'm going to lie with that. I, and I don't disagree with you. I don't think that either opinion could be wrong. Like Charlton Heston definitely deserves at least. Yeah. Like he does. Yeah. An Oscar. They both should get an Oscar. Yeah. Did they, did Cary Grant get an Oscar overall? No, they, he was. No, not, not for that year. Oh yeah. Yeah. So Cary Grant, 
one. Oh, I didn't write that down. Um, no, he only got an Academy Honorary Reward and a Kennedy Center's Honors. Oh. He didn't ever get one. Huh. Even though he was in four Hitchcock films. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the best of the Hitchcock, but like still. Yeah, that's interesting. So the reason why we did this, the reason why we watched Ben-Hur first, because we knew it won Best Picture. And North by Northwest didn't even get nominated. Do you think that there's a world in which North by Northwest can take Best Picture from Ben-Hur? No, because it's it's an enjoyable film. <laughs> and that's that's what what it comes down to when you're looking at Oscars. And we are in Oscar season, so we're we're talking about Oscar movies. Yeah. This was an Oscar nominee and Ben-Hur was an Oscar winner. So when you're looking at Oscar films, you're not getting the um funniest, most enjoyable, most relatable films. You're getting the technically like on paper best films almost. Right. They maybe or maybe the most epic or maybe the most fitting for the decade. Yeah. The well, most fitting for the year. I, I also saw read somewhere once that the Oscars are also almost like an award for your past achievements. Like yeah. like we oh, we didn't nominate you for this because we had to nominate this person for this because yeah. we didn't nominate it's them like, for that. It's like why did Leo take so long to get his Oscar? Yeah. When every one of his roles is like Oscar worthy. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah. Yeah. No so and I agree with you. I, I think that Ben Hur um is a more fitting movie for Best Picture. Now, for in terms of like audience enjoy enjoyment, if you look at the ratings, North by Northwest is the highest rated film from 1959 on IMDb. It comes in at number 97, so it just makes that hunt top yeah, 100. Yeah. Whereas Ben Hur is actually 182nd, and Ben Hur is even lower on that top 250 list than another movie from 1959, Some Like It Hot, which Mm. I've heard also really holds up. Yeah, honestly, I think that makes sense because overall, like the majority of Oscars, they're respected for what they were, but they're maybe not as enjoyed. Yeah. And that's why I think like the Oscars mean something and they don't. They have indications towards uh, how great something is, but they don't necessarily say that it will live on. Oh, yeah. Or how great the the people being nominated for them are. Yeah. Um, you almost have to look like when somebody gets nominated for something, what did they do last year? Or what did they do like two years ago that led them to getting nominated for this? Because that's probably where you're looking at a good movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Hitchcock, I wanted to talk really quick about his his Oscar track record. He was nominated for Best Director five times throughout his career and never once won an Oscar. Yeah, he wasn't even nominated for Best Director for this film, which blows my mind. Like, how how can you not be... That was, yeah, it was phenomenally directed. Yeah, That's yeah. a snub in my opinion. So, yeah, what what did it mean? It's all politics, I think. And that's, that's where I think a lot of, um, what I've seen about the Oscars comes down to is politics Mm -hmm. who deserves it. Who's paying, who's, um, influencing who to give what the Oscars are a little, uh, it's, it's kind of a wild card in it's in itself because let's say you watch every phenomenal movie for any given year. 
you're going to find like a top 10 and each of those could be like you, you probably have your top pick yeah, and it's not in the running because the other ones had better people financing them maybe, or the direct or the director's earned it through years of service to the industry or yeah or the like group of people nominating them have a certain taste that doesn't quite align with that yeah um, and like the the politics of the year yeah like let's say it was like the 20 whatever 2018 or whenever me too came out that would influ- influence what was in the oscar picks yeah so the only other oscar comment that i wanted to make was that uh, the screenplay writer, Ernest Lehman, was nominated six times throughout his career for Best Screenplay and also never won. Hmm. And we already talked about what his movies were that he yeah. made. But he was the first screenwriter ever to receive an honorary Oscar in 2001. So oh, they, they did cool. kind of recognize him eventually, yeah, which yeah, is good. Yeah. Was but, he still alive during it or was uh, it post- posthumous? I think he was still alive during it. I'm pretty sure I read. I think he died in That's 2003. Nice. <laughs> I'm not. I don't know if I'm remembering that correctly at That's all. Fair. But so let's talk the influence here. So we've already talked about this a little bit, but this movie influences this whole spy genre for the rest of time. Period. Like James Bond was directly influenced by this. The books had already come out by this time. Yeah. Um. But Ian Fleming was so inspired by the way that this film was created, he wanted Hugh Grant as his first James Bond. Do you um, mean Cary Grant? Sorry, Cary Grant. Damn yeah. it. Did it again. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why I have Hugh Grant on my mind. <laughs> House. <laughs> um. But yeah, so... <laughs> but all other films and TV shows in this genre, because like you said, we also talked about The Man from Uncle already. We've talked about, um, what was the other one? Get Smart. Get Smart, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so obviously it's there's some roots there. It's been spoofed like countless times. Yeah. Oh, actually, times that it's been referenced. So notably, so noted IMDb, it's been referenced 295 times since in other films and TV shows. Yeah. Yeah, that's like you, wild. You've seen this in almost everything. There's quotes that I'll probably get into. We have a few quotes that we want to talk about yeah. um, that are ripped off and reused and reimagined. Scenes that are reimagined. Everything is reimagined from this because it's so iconic. Or reference, like yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, spoofs. So one of my favorite movies of all time, and I think we. We might do it next at The Big Lebowski. And every time I talk about The Big Lebowski, I'm like, I want to watch The Big Lebowski now. Yeah, yeah. So I think we might have to do this as our next film. But The Big Lebowski is also a film that is very much inspired by this because we have mistaken identity yeah, at the core yeah. of the film. Of um, course, yeah. But this is the phone. We talked about this a little earlier that there was one th- uh, there was one scene in particular that as soon as it happened, I was like, oh, I like the Big Lebowski to that. And then later on, it kind of sat in my mind and I was like, oh, it's because the Big Lebowski obviously ripped this off. Yeah, yeah. So the scene where um, Cary Grant is trying to figure out the message that Eve has written yeah, and draws yeah. the pencil over. Yeah. So the in the Big Lebowski, the dude does the same thing where he sees the pad of paper and he does the scribble over it and it's just a big penis that somebody <laughs> has scribbled on. <laughs> oh, that's phenomenal. Yeah. You don't remember? Yes, I remember. I remember it. In, it's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like he he looked like he was writing down something that would help yeah. the dude figure out what's going on, but it was just a dick. Yeah. Oh, 
<laughs> no way. I, I didn't think about that because we've seen that. We've everybody's seen that thing where like someone writes something down on a pad of paper. They go over it with a pencil. Yeah. And then they can read what was left. That's a hilarious iteration of that that started from North by Northwest. Yeah. That's cool. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> lots of inspiration there. That I. Other other kind of references. I don't know if you ever watched the Richie Rich movie, the live action with Macaulay Culkin. Uh, yeah, it was yeah, on yeah. Family Channel, but that ends on with a chase on Mount Mount, Mount Rushmore uh, as well. I wouldn't have remembered that, but yeah. I could kind of envision it. There has been like, yeah, I've seen like mostly like cartoon things. I feel like the Family Guy or The Simpsons has done it for sure. Yep. They've referenced like they've referenced the uh, the, the plane Simpsons scene. Test, definitely. Yeah, like there's so many things that reference North by Northwest. Anytime a character gets on a train, <laughs> it's a North by Northwest reference if Probably. it's comedic. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like this this movie just has it hits hooks in so much of our culture even today. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's good. <laughs> yeah. I'm losing it. <laughs> All right, let's get into our personal reviews. I think at this point, if you don't know where we sit on this, I don't know what to tell you. I loved this movie. It's it's the suspense is so good. Cary Grant's portrayal is so so good. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorite portrayals in film. Maybe this doesn't quite make my top twenty movies of all time, but for portrayals, it's up there. Yeah, throughout me watching it, I was like. Cary Grant is how I imagine myself every day. And I feel like most people could put themselves yeah, in Cary Grant yeah. shoes. And then like I imagine um like my girlfriend Annabelle as Eve. Like we're both like I that's how I like picture us in our heads. So like that really connected for me just throughout this movie. And I know I'm no, near like not nearly as funny, but I like to think I am. So that's like you where... said, not nearly as funny, but you left out the part about being suave. Oh well, <laughs> I'm obviously as suave. I could put the lines on anyone, but anyways, um, I like to draw on pads of paper. Yeah, yeah, I've seen you do it. You're doing it right now. Ooh. <laughs> um, that was my suave. <laughs> that was okay. Draw on my pad of paper. <laughs> All right, let's let's this stop there. <laughs> <laughs> That's the daddest of jokes on this yeah, podcast yeah. yet. And that's where I imagine it in my head that I'm Cary Grant, but it doesn't come off that way. <laughs> my whole life in my head is this movie. Yeah. But it doesn't come off that way to everyone watching. <laughs> that's so true. Yeah. I feel like I feel like most people go through life like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um Maybe that's Hitchcock's theme. Ooh. ooh pacing of the film is great it's 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 just so well done what's really interesting is all like very very little was left on the cutting room floor yeah. um almost the entirety of what they filmed what they wanted to film made it into the movie the studio wanted him to cut uh, about 20 minutes or so off the film to get it just under the two hour mark and he was like nah. he's like i'm alfred hitchcock yeah, he what, are you, what are you gonna do about it? He had his guy go back and read the contract, and it said that he had complete artistic freedom, and he was like, "Nah, we're not doing that." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> nice. So that's really great. Partner factor, Jess, 
loved this movie. This is the most I've seen her invested in a film that we have watched for this podcast yet. And that's saying something. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would honestly say this is probably like one of the most easily watchable of anything that we've reviewed so far. Yeah. And the most enjoyable for that Friday night movie, which most people are in the vibe for, especially these days. That's kind of what we need. Yeah. And um, so my partner factor... Uh, Annabelle had previously watched this mm-hmm. and this is where I think the debate is for the pacing it's okay. just but at the same time I want to argue against her because she <laughs> doesn't like old movies for their pacing so basically mm-hmm. for an old movie I think this had great pacing Yeah. for a new movie it doesn't for someone who's used to watching um, modern movies it's not the best pacing. There's just some because parts in, in like the first forty minutes. I would say like maybe twenty minutes into like uh around the fifty minute mark, fifty five minute yeah. mark. I could see I could see you maybe making an argument for a little bit of awkward pacing. Yeah, just in the middle. The ending is phenomenal. I love how they ended this movie. It was a weird cut. I don't know if I, I loved liked that it. Or not. I you liked did? it. Yeah. Like that made that made the whole thing like and on such a nice note for me, because that's exactly how I imagine, like me, <laughs> like that's something I would do. Riding off into the sunset. Yeah. So, so, um, just in case anyone hasn't watched it at this mm-hmm. point, the very end scene is they're running across and like climbing down Mount Rushmore, climbing down the faces of the presidents and everything, and then. Eve is, like, about to fall off the cliff. Right. And Roger, like, is holding on, and he's like, just hold on a little bit longer and, like, try and, like, grab, like, come up. Yeah. And, like, he's, like, trying to pull her up. And then as she's, like, reaching up and finally getting back onto, like, onto solid ground, it cuts to what they just referenced like a few minutes before about how if they escape this whole crazy scenario, they want to go back on the train and ride across the country together and just really enjoy their time. Right. And so it cuts from her about to fall off the cliff to her pretending that she's on the cliff still, but she's on the bed of the train and he's pulling her up. And yeah. she's like, I don't know why you wanted to do this again. And he's like, I just like recreate, or like I just like remembering that whole scenario. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like it goes like that was just such a nice little ending for me. Like I just I I left the movie smiling my ass off. Yeah, and I agree with that, and I I enjoyed the ending too. But for me personally, the the way it was cut, I I wasn't the biggest fan of. I I just I didn't like I did I, it just. It was too... I don't Jarring? Know, was, yeah. Like, yeah. That's that's a sign of the times and, I like, technology potentially. Yeah. Is that what you're thinking? I don't know. It, or? Was just, it, just, it was just cut a little awkwardly, in my opinion. I Like, I, I, I'm just a guy talking in front of a mic. Yeah, but yeah. But for me, it just felt a little, like, awkward. I see that, but, like, after it happened, I was like, you know what? That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, and it was great. It was very original. Yeah, yeah. Um, as a side note, I thought she was going to fall. I For whatever in my head, I was like, I think she's dead. I think she's dead. Yeah, yeah. Because um, he kept losing her. Like, yeah. he like he lost her to Van Damme. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. as he saw well, and, it. And, and she's then, wearing the glove, too. And yeah, like, I yeah. thought she was going to slip out of that or something. Yeah. There's no way they could have ended the Especially, movie like that. Oh, but. this is another point, because Hitchcock goes to pretty extreme brutality he just lengths a, in his movies overall. He just doesn't care about his actors. Yes. Not to the same extent of Stanley Kubrick. Stanley no, Tup- no, Kubrick like, no. terrorized his actors. Yeah, but what I want to say is that like he in his films the there is a lot of like gruesome acts and stuff like that. Oh, okay, and we I see were, what you mean. We were kind of expecting that from uh, somewhere in this. Uh, we see a little hint of it with the um UN guy getting um a knife in his back. Right. And but like everyone watching this, everyone going into the movies watching this was like, this is a Hitchcock film. Something fucked up is about to happen right. at any moment. He was like known he kind for of that. Subverted the expectations. <laughs> yes, to take a modern reference and apply it backwards. So that's funny. Yeah. But um, the fact that he waited like almost until the end for like someone to die was mm-hmm. pretty mm-hmm. unexpected. Like. You were expecting a lot more things to happen in that path, and that's where he like built suspense up till that point. But it wasn't a central theme, which was different for him. Right, right. Maybe it's because I've watched Indiana Jones a few too many times, and I've watched Elsa fall a few too many times in the third movie. Yeah, that I was just I just had in my mind. I was like, ah, she's dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't sure either, like as I was watching, but like I kind of felt confident that they were about to win. Yeah. Overall, I think we said most of the things about this movie that I enjoyed, and like I've been pretty forthright about that. Just yep. how much I really liked Cary Grant's portrayal of Roger Thornhill. He was hilarious, and like subtly hilarious without like the character wasn't trying to be hilarious. Yeah, he was just being himself, being like this um like smartass. Yeah, and constantly, like it was just. That was his character, and it was phenomenal. Well, and it sounds like you're a big fan of Ava Marie Saint's portrayal yeah. as well. Yeah, like, those two combined on stage was phenomenal. Um, I guess that's my favorite word tonight, phenomenal. <laughs> but, uh, I have a word usually of the night, too, and I'm sure yeah. I'm going to listen to it for six hours while I edit it. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk quotes. And for once, I have a quote that I am so excited to share because... It's it's so good. It's one of my favorite quotes. It's my favorite quote from the movie, but it's one of my favorite quotes of film. <laughs> and I'll just read it again. Uh, Roger Thornhill, he says, Now you listen to me. I'm an advertising man, not a red herring. I've got a job, a secretary, a mother, two ex-wives, and several bartenders that depend upon me, and I don't intend to disappoint all of them by getting myself slightly killed. Yes. Uh, and that was just, that is like the line that I knew before knowing where it was from. Mm-hmm. I've heard this line before, just as like in reference and everything. And that line, as it played, because I wasn't expecting it, I didn't <laughs> yeah. know it was in this movie. Yeah. It, it hit, and I was like, oh my God, yes. Like that was just such a good line. Yeah. 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 The whole, um, if you left it, Without the several bartenders, yeah, it wouldn't have landed. No, the several it was that bartenders part. Yeah. was just phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, like there's several bartenders that depend on him. <laughs> like, 
Amazing. Yeah. I, I like if that was Layman who wrote that, like he deserves the Oscar just for that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's such a great line. It's it's such a great line. Yeah. You know what my other favorite line was? What's um that? it's a it's basically a whole scene. Um Roger Thornhill is escaping uh he escapes out a window in a hospital after he has been um shot with air quotes mm-hmm. with the blank. So he escapes out his window that's his door is locked. He escapes out the window and goes into the next window of this hospital. And there's a lady in a hospital bed there. And um, she he comes in the window and she's like, stop. And she's like freaked out. Someone's re- coming in her window. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, excuse me. And he starts moving towards the door again. And then um, she puts on her glasses and then sees him like he's <laughs> yeah. he's an attractive guy and that's referenced throughout the film yeah and she so first she's like stop and then she's like stop and, like, <laughs> yeah. and then and then he pauses and he's like no, no. <laughs> like, like he's like i've already been through this like i've done enough for a blonde girl already like i've been roped into this whole situation just for a blonde girl right now like that was such a funny scene yeah it was tiny but it was so characteristic and so perfect <laughs> the look back where he's like no. <laughs> then, yeah, yeah. He, and like he's like, uh, he's like, no. Like, like if it was any other situation, and he just came in this lady's window, and she was as attractive as she was, and he was as attractive as he was. Yeah. He'd be like all over it because that's almost like the speed within which he fell in love with Eve earlier but then yeah they just kind of recreate that just to like be like oh man that was perfect that is good writing <laughs> yeah i agree i'm still laughing about yeah, it yeah yeah oh man and then um just all the little lines like when um roger gets to the police station and he's on the phone with his mom yeah and he's um he's just talking to her it's one-sided we only hear a little bit he's like no no mother i haven't been drinking no no these two men they poured a whole bottle of bourbon into me no they didn't give me a chaser like (laughs) that's what she asked yeah like did they at least give you a chaser (laughs) like (laughs) like that was just all those perfectly timed things to make you like just the perfect timing of the comedy yeah or i i like when uh he gives her his uh, card, and it says, like, R-O-T. Yeah. And she's like, what does the O stand for? And he's like, nothing. I just yeah. like, it looks yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, like, when they're climbing down the um, Rushmore, and he's like, I don't like the way Teddy Roosevelt's looking at me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just even in, like, the face of that much danger, just cracking wise. Yeah. 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 <laughs> There's there's a lot of great lines and I I really hope that as a viewer if if you aren't convinced at this point to watch it go check it out because you're going to have a riot. Yeah, seriously. Best scenes for me like the the plane sequence is obviously like top tier. Most of the train is is a lot of fun too. Yeah, the train is very fun. His just uh him driving the while yeah, drunk. Yeah, drunk driving. And is then great. at the police station. 
I I really enjoyed when they were going when they went back to the house and you're just like what is going on right now like and you're just so confused because you're like what is happening like this this is all like yeah 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 and the way that like he brought his mother with him yeah (laughs) and like he's he's and she's not believable at all she's like you're an idiot yeah oh oh and then uh (laughs) so when they go to this George Kaplan's hotel for the first time and he brings his mom and they go up to his room and then they get a phone call that says that um, some guys are coming up or whatever mm-hmm. and he knows that it's the two guys who are trying to kill him then they get all get in the elevator together and they're going down and his mom is like you two aren't really trying to kill my son are you yeah and then like they are but then someone starts laughing because it's, it's it like those guys that started laughing yeah to, yeah to break the tension. and then everybody else in the elevator started laughing and yeah. like that was just like such a classic moment of like an elevator joke yeah like something to say in the elevator that's just hilarious i bet people were quoting that for years in elevators <laughs> after that yeah. after this movie came out yeah like at least a decade yeah how how hung how great was it with how hungover he looked in court? That was just like a minor yeah, detail, but yeah, I was yeah. like, that man is having a rough morning. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was a good scene. Even just like when um, uh, Van Dam brought him into the library room, or his bodyguard brought him into the library room. You just see how snappy he is, how quick this character is with his uh, like fast funny lines. Mm-hmm. They bring him into the library and he's just like, don't worry, I'll catch up on my reading. And it just like hits perfectly. It's just so quick. Like he, he barely has time to see that he's in a library and yeah. he's already making a joke. Like it's just so quick. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's talk really quick about Eve's role and how, how great it is with the constant twists of who she really is. Because yeah. we get this first, I she's, she's instantly like, attracted to Gary Grant and that's and we and and you're kind of suspicious of that a little bit because at this point he's an internationally wanted man like everybody knows his face worldwide at this Mm. point he's killed a UN ambassador in the UN building and at this point everybody knows his face obviously she knows his face probably at this point too and as soon as she as soon as they meet on the train he's obviously evading the cops and she helps him hide in a room like in the bathroom or whatever and then uh, she says, he went that way. And then he comes back out and he's like, seven parking tickets. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and it was just like such a funny scene. And then she references that later as like, obviously it wasn't seven parking tickets. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so we've got this character and she's kind of suspicious, right? Or I'm suspicious of her a little bit because mm. you, you don't see that happen. And then she's like, you know, really coming on to him in the... It's almost uh, too perfect. Yeah, it's too perfect. So there's something off there. And then we realize that she's actually an agent for the bad guys. Mm. Um, but she's actually a double agent for the good guys. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And so there's this constant, like, change. Because every time you think you know what she, who she is, mm-hmm. like, so she does something where you're like, ah, like, that doesn't feel in character. Like, yeah. when, she's, when she's basically telling him to leave and never come back, you're like, that's strange. Yeah, because she also gets heavily involved emotionally with him. Yeah. So that's like a third, a trifecta for her. She's got the the good guys, Americans, mm-hmm. the bad guys, and then Thornhill. 
so that combination like she's being pulled three different ways and she's still calm under pressure for the most part yeah and exactly like, yeah i don't have too much else to discuss so i thought it was so hot when she blew out his match <laughs> like like she lit up a cigarette and blew out his match and i was like oh that's just cause that's you're a, a woman after my heart <laughs> that's just because you're a smoker yeah yeah oh um another great line so after their dinner in the train they go back to her compartment area yeah and he hides up in the luggage compartment <laughs> and the cops come in and um he's like he's hiding up there and she's trying to read her book to pretend and yep. um he's like have you got any olive oil and she's like olive oil and he's like well i'd like to be packed in olive oil if i'm gonna be a sardine <laughs> and like just that line hits so well yeah he, just his d- general displeasure and, and that's again another scene where it comes out in a very comedic way that's just so enjoyable to watch yeah yeah I thought I I like I caught on that he was gonna fake his death in front of Van Damme, but mm-hmm. like it was obvious it was leading up to that. Well, yeah, I wasn't shocked by it by any means. No, but yeah. it was it was really well done though. Still, because you could see you saw in the background her talking to the professor too. Yeah, which was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Then uh, another scene that is legacy ish. Roger Thornhill is hol- <laughs> holding on to the um, cliff. Mm-hmm. And the bad guy henchman comes up and steps on his hand. Yep. That must have been the very first iteration of the Lion King. Yeah. Because that is the Lion King move. That's like Scar's move. Yeah. 100%. Everyone our age, everyone our age knows that move. That's, yeah, that's a great, like, uh, connection that I didn't know notice but yeah that when that happened i was like oh that's a dick move that's, yeah, that's yeah, a real bad yeah. guy level move yeah and uh just overall i think like i have to see more hitchcock movies mm-hmm. but from everything that i've read i would say uh the consensus kind of is this isn't the best hitchcock movie mm-hmm. but it is a favorite I could agree with that. I bet you it's something like Stephen King and The Stand, where Stephen King and The Stand are like it are like are just so good. They're so like iconically Stephen King, but they're not yeah. necessarily everybody's favorites. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is the most digestible, most enjoyable. Yeah. Of the Hitchcock films. Yeah, I agree. I and I I'm really excited to see the rest of them because especially after watching two of them now and starting to understand what made Hitchcock so great as a director. I'm really looking forward to seeing those, those other very well directed films. Yeah. I don't really have too much else to add. Like I, I think we, we've discussed all of the great spots. Like this is such a good movie that like, you got to see it for yourself. Um, and I'm glad that I finally have watched it because it's it's probably a movie that it's been in my peripherals for a really long time. Yeah, and all the references. Like, I knew yeah. so much about this movie before I started watching it. And then I started watching it, and I, I started pulling all this information that I had previously seen about it. And I'm like, oh, this is the movie. Yeah. Yeah, so it was very enjoyable to watch. Yeah. So... Okay, so I think it's a good time to wrap it up. Do do we want to clamp down on The Big Lebowski as our next movie, or should we leave it open? I'd say leave it open. 
regardless of whether or not we do the Big Lebowski, I'm probably going to watch the Big Lebowski soon. Um, That's fair. So, okay, well, let's leave it open then. We'll we'll figure something out. Um, we I think we are going to do comedy, though, next. I think uh, even though this one had, like, a, a good lightheartedness yeah, to it, Gary yeah. Grant, phenomenal, but I, I think I still want to head like a, out of Oscar a pure card- with something. Yeah, yeah, a pure comedy. Yeah. We'll find something good, I'm sure. Anyway, I think that's it for this week's. Uh, we're sorry that we're a little late. Um, sometimes life happens, but I think we'll we'll put out this one, and then we'll put out one a week later so that we're back on our regular schedule time. Um, for all of you listening. So on a positive note, you get one within a week of another. Yeah, so yeah, you're there welcome, you go. but also sorry. Tune in. <laughs> <laughs> all right, have a good one, everyone. See you next time.